Thank you for tuning in another episode of Mountain Murders. Now, unfortunately, Dylan is no longer with us. No, I'm just kidding. He's <laughs> not dead. I didn't kill him, at least not yet. Uh, but he is unavailable tonight to record a podcast, and we wanted to get some content out to our listeners. Um, and we're going to actually have a show tonight that's a little different from what we normally would present to you. Of course, Mountain Murders, we mostly focus on true crime, but... Since Dylan is unavailable, he's working his wonderful blue-collar swing shift job, um, I actually have a special guest. So I'm going to quit uh, beating around the bush here. I'm doing a lot of jibber-jabbering. I've got my mom here. Hi, Mom. Hi. And she's a Mountain Murders fan. But uh, I thought it might be kind of fun, since we are a show that focuses on the mountain region, to interview my mom. You've grown up here in Western North Carolina. Mm-hmm. You are a true local. And you've got an amazing mountain accent. I do. And so earlier we were kind of making fun because you were like, I don't want anybody to hear me. Mm-hmm. Modern day hillbilly. Yeah. <laughs> but you Educated d- hillbilly. But you do get some flack for having I, an I accent, do. right? Can I, we talk a little bit about that? Sure. Just sort of off the cuff about... Very discriminated against. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About how people f- that aren't from this area, mm-hmm. they automatically assume there's all these stereotypes about mountain people. Mm-hmm. Hillbillies, we're ignorant, we don't wear shoes, we don't have teeth. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing? Absolutely. And you have three college degrees, Mm -hmm. so it's not like you are uneducated. No, it's just a simple representation of where you grew up. Just what you hear, and you repeat words the way you hear them. But, um, oh yeah, lots of people around here suffer discrimination and mocking and taunting and, you know, insults. And I have, I have as well. And still do. Yeah, but a lot of people love the accent. You think? <laughs> well, yeah. There are people well, who like love. They're like talk. I want to hear more. Say more things. I do you know? get that, but um, but then I, I'm always skeptical as to whether that's really their motive or they're they're just secretly giggling about it in a negative way. Well, we talked about, and we were we were kind of talking about this earlier today that you went to Canada to visit some family Mm -hmm. and they live in a very rural Mm -hmm. kind of mountain town and how when you were a visitor you were almost like the local um like a sightseeing oh I was celebrity like people wanted to come out and like (laughs) see you and talk to you yes because you know you were the visitor you were the guest it's a really small town And then on top of that, you were American and you're from the South. Right. So people were just like fascinated with your accent. Absolutely. They came from near and far. (laughs) Well, that's pretty near the coolest thing I've ever heard right there. Trying to up some (laughs) chit-chat. So growing up in the mountains, you have a lot of interesting stories. Um, Do I? Yeah, I think you do. Tell me, earlier we were talking about buttermilk. And I even posted a question on our Mountain Murders Facebook page. Like, who here likes to drink buttermilk? And it was pretty interesting to see the people who said they enjoyed buttermilk. Because you had some buttermilk in the fridge mm-hmm. today. And I said, do you actually drink that? Like, you drink it straight? And you were laughing, like, what am I supposed to put vodka in it? <laughs> I was surprised you didn't already know that about me. Well, I mean, I kind of remember you drinking buttermilk when I was younger. But it wasn't like it was very often. Yeah, Mom, you got to turn the phone off. Oh, I really enjoy a cold glass of buttermilk. Tell, tell Unlike, your boyfriends to stop texting. Oh, of course. <laughs> so many. Yeah. So Unlike you, as a child when we drank warm buttermilk when it was the most fresh. 
Yeah, so tell me about that because oh, it's pretty okay. cool. Well, okay, my grandmother had this big, um, I call her granny, we all did, a big crock. And um, she had fresh milk. She had dairy cows. Um, not not many, couple, couple dairy cows. And um, so she had, you know, fresh milk. But she would, when the milk was reaching its expiration date, which was only a few days because it wasn't processed. So it was raw milk. Raw milk. She just would pour it through cheesecloth to get the most of the fat out. And then we would drink it. And you could just see that yellowy fat floating around in it. And really turned me against milk for a long time. But um, after several days, she would pour that milk in that crock jar. And it would just sit there for days and days. And she'd pour more. And I always remember, you know, as a kid, things are just what they are. You don't really question it. But even I thought, ooh, that milk has to be rotting, you know. But then I don't know the timeline. I, I really don't, but I need to find out. They would um, put the, this wooden lid on the churn jar. And, um, and especially, I can remember my mom, she'd sit and churn, which to me, as a child, it seemed like hours. But she would churn and churn and churn, take the lid off, check it with her finger for a certain consistency. And you could see all this butter forming on the top. And then... Um, you know, at whatever point she realized that, you know, it probably made all the butter it was going to make, they would scoop the butter out, which was um, the consistency of, if you're a baker, like biscuit dough, I guess. Okay. And then they would pour that on cheesecloth and it water, milky water would run off that. And then, um, then they, of course, they'd pour the buttermilk in jars or whatever. But then the butter, they they had a mold, a butter mold, that they could shape it pretty and stamp it with this little flower, which I just found fascinating, um, you know, as a little child. But most of the time, they just used their hands and just sort of patted out a round pat of butter. And then my grandmother would put it in the freezer like an individual things on a baking sheet, freeze that. Then when it got really, really cold, then put it in the refrigerator. And, I mean, she kept it, of course, but she also gave it away, sold it. But that wasn't like her uh, means of making money because, you know, she did she did everything. The old-fashioned, organic, country way. Everything. Even though, financially, at that time, when I was a child, they didn't have to live that, any, that way anymore. She just chose that lifestyle. Well, maybe that was just what she was accustomed to mm-hmm. or... They just really enjoyed the process she of did. doing the little yeah. things. She had a, a real respect for it, too, from taking one thing, like a cow, and utilizing as many different functions and as, you know, many types of food and different things. She just, she had a real appreciation for that, too. So, in the crock, okay. the butter's been scooped out, so there's leftover the buttermilk. Butter mm-hmm. And you could see, like, little chunks of butter I guess kind of floating around in there now what I buy in the store now the little chunks or little curds are almost white but this buttermilk was the little curds were yellow so I'm I'm sure they were just butter um now they didn't strain that through a cheesecloth because the we enjoyed those little curds of butter floating around the buttermilk but it was warm well, it was when it came straight out of the churn jar, it was warm. And I always wanted some just because I loved buttermilk. But, but oh, yeah, it's much better cold. But, you know, she used it in uh, all of her cornbread. Biscuits, maybe? Um, no, not really biscuits I, that I remember. I know people do, but I don't think my grandmother did. Um, but she did use it in some baking. I can remember her using that in some cakes. But primarily, people just loved it and drank it. Yeah. 
with cornbread, or they ate cornbread and buttermilk. Like, oh yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, you crumble up your cornbread into your bowl of buttermilk. Okay. Much like cereal. Well, see, I love cornbread and milk. You do. That's like my. Fa- that's like a dessert for you me. You do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can eat a whole cake of cornbread and milk. That's my favorite thing. Love it. Can't get enough of it. I am country when it comes to the cornbread, but I've never had it with buttermilk. And you know that they ground their own cornmeal. Yep, I remember and that. And my uncle still does. He still has his meal house, and he still grinds his own cornmeal. And he still has my grandmother's original meal box in his kitchen. Yeah, I remember the meal box. And I've staked my claim on that meal box. <laughs> and he still cooks on a wood stove, right? He does. I mean, he has full electric and everything, but he... Well, he lives in our... Well, what would be my great-grandparents' house, yes. your grandmother's, mm-hmm. granny's house. He still lives there. He does. And cooks on a wood stove, and mm-hmm. it's the same wood stove that she cooked it on. It is. Right? Same one that I remember, you know, for as far back as I can remember. The same one. Do you think it's more difficult to cook on a wood stove? Or do you feel like once you have the hang of it, it's just like using an electric stove or whatever? For us, I think we would see it as a real chore and a lot of effort. But, like, for him, oh, no, he much prefers that because he just does. But for us, I mean, of course, you have to build a fire down in the in the, in the the stove, and then you have to let it heat up. And it's difficult, I guess, and you could almost say impossible to monitor the heat of the oven. So you have to have some knowledge of, you know, when to put whatever in the oven and how long to bake it versus we can put, we can monitor the temperature on our electric oven. I mean, I vaguely remember as a kid, the wood stove, the cooking stove, and like, wasn't there a kindling box? Because you had to have mm-hmm. like kindling to put in the wood stove. And right start, beside and it. was like it. this mm-hmm. big process. It was a big wooden box, and it usually had some newspaper kind of twisted in there, and then little pieces of kindling, you know, little shreds of wood and um, mm-hmm, to start the fire. And Granny and Daddy Rich, they had a lot of, um, they grew tobacco too, right? Yes. Because I remember as a kid, there there were the barns. Mm-hmm. And I remember going across the street and there was the one big barn that burned. But playing in that and there would be tobacco hanging. Mm-hmm. The one barn was just the tobacco, tobacco barn. barn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, in the summer, you know, sometimes he'd pack his, park his tractor and stuff like that in there. But that was the tobacco barn. And the other barn was like just a typical farm. A yeah. barn on a farm, yeah. Had stables. The tobacco and barn really coops. freaked me out. Really? Because the tobacco hanging. Oh. And then, like, because it would be green, and then I remember it would turn brown. Mm-hmm. And I just remember it kind of smelled funky. And, like, yeah, I just remember Strong. that barn freaked me out for some reason. And he had all these little wood pieces, and I don't even know what those were, but they were piles of them. These little, they weren't wood chips, but they were, like, almost like blocks. Well, I think it. I, I think that it was pieces of like little moldings and trim, and um, but it almost looked like it had come from a factory where they yeah. cut moldings and trims for homes. It was that like that kind of wood. But you're right; it was all different shapes and sizes. So, and I have no idea what it was for, but I remember being a little kid, and I would go in there, and there would be the tobacco and. Like, it just smelled weird and whatever, but I would go in there to get those little wood pieces, those little blocks, because I would, like, play with them. I'd build stuff, you know. It was like having building blocks. And I'd go get, a, you know, an armful of those and go cross back across the road to the house and sit on the porch huh. and play with those. 
And uh, yeah, but that barn always like wigged me out. For well, some speaking reason. of tobacco, okay, this is what I remember about tobacco. Yeah, um, I want to hear about it. I mean, you know, th- there's a whole process, and I remember the whole process and everything. But as kids, like this was our job. You know, at the end, when the tobacco's been cut and um, dried and every... No, no, not dried. I'm sorry. Okay, anyway, tobacco, they, they would take it to my aunt's basement, this large basement, and they had it set up in um, little divided spaces, and they would class the tobacco. Okay. And that meant like like they would literally stand and grab leaves of tobacco. And I can remember like my mom, my aunt, my uncles, my grandparents, they were so fast. I mean, it was like professional assembly line. They would, you know, jerk that to those tobacco leaves off those stalks and um, just pop, pop, pop. And they would put it into classes like the really good, good, good leaves. So like down to the really, really poor a, B, leaves. C, D. Yes, somewhat. And I, I, I'd love to know what they call the different categories because I don't remember but yeah they would class the tobacco and um you know like I said they just rip it off the stalk and and throw it whichever so you know the better tobacco went for more money and then this tobacco went for less money well as kids there would be um bunches of leaves just all over the floor and I guess they might not have been large enough to class okay but our job was to go around picking those up and they would take a wire hanger and no and wire hangers. No wire hangers. Okay. But those were really, yeah, we we had multi-functions for wire hangers. Not only did you get beaten with them, but they also were... Well, uh, that's a... There, that's was, a, a, YouTube, <laughs> there was a... <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. A utilitarian purpose to the <laughs> wire hanger. Okay, sorry. So they would clip it like the very bottom of the wire hanger. They'd clip it in the corner. And then my grandfather would take like pliers and make a hoop. So we would... You know, where he clipped it was really sharp. So we took those tobacco leaves and would thread them through the stalk and thread them onto that hanger. And then when that hanger was full, pretty much full, we would kind of separate them and put like a child's finger space in between each leaf. Okay. Then we would go over on the edge and sort of hook that little hook he'd made around that thing. So then they would just hang that hanger on a rod, like much like you would a shirt. But the thing was that tobacco was hanging from it versus say a pair of slacks. Yeah. And they would they would dry. They okay. would hang on that and dry those leaves. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean it was like my grandmother was just she was just brilliant. Very um industrious, you know. And creative. It very like. creative. Innovative. Innovative, that's the best word to describe her. And her life was very interesting because she was born and raised in Catalucci Valley mm-hmm. before, of course, that became like a national park. Mm-hmm. And so the story is, you know, the government came in and, and tried to buy that land up because they wanted to turn it into national park. Um, but there were people who lived there before. So she was, you know, one of the settlers down there. And she was 13 when she yes. was married, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so what I've been told, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that, you know, she was, you know, grown up, whatever, down there. And then our what would be my great grandpa, but your grandfather um, happened to be down there and saw mm-hmm. her, mm-hmm. and she caught his eye, and he found out who she was, and then kind of courted her a couple mm-hmm. of times, but not many. I mean, it wasn't like they dated for years. Well, I guess that was a a really far walk yeah. or ride on a donkey or, <laughs> or a mule. Well, yeah, because that would have so, been yeah. 
So that would have probably been a good, probably, what, eight, nine, ten miles from his, where he lived. Rich Cove. To Catalucci, yeah. far farther. So they met a few times, and then they were married. And he was, like, 19. I believe he was 19. And she was 13. But that was normal back then. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. That wasn't, like, uncommon. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely not. And he could have been... 18 and she 13 because when I think about their ages but she was already for the most part running a household yeah she took care of her um, many brothers and sisters she had several siblings and um, she already you know ran that household and did all the cooking and the laundry and you know was basically like a mother absolutely so she knew exactly what she was doing before she should have been doing it and that was really common for a lot of those mountain families. They had really large families, lots of kids. And the kids were responsible, for, like the older kids, for taking care of the younger kids. Because usually mm-hmm. mom and dad were out in the field working or farming, doing that kind of stuff. And Daddy Rich, he was a logger. Mm-hmm. We have some really cool photos of him, like from probably about the 30s, with, uh, you know, these really old trucks and these big, big, huge logs. Mm-hmm. I big. mean, you know, probably eight feet tall like or why you know the diameter I mean just huge and three or four men standing in front of him and these you know trees are just giant and he was gone from home for like weeks at a time and so my grandmother you know at the time she didn't have a vehicle and she had six kids and I mean she worked and all of her children you know my uncles aunts my mom will tell you you know how hard they worked I mean, they would go up on the mountain and cut trees down and drag them down to their house using a donkey. And um, they all had jobs and got up early and worked and worked and worked before they went to school. Yeah, I remember Nana telling me a story about, I guess she was in charge of the eggs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so that was her job every morning was to get up and go to the hen house and pick the eggs up and all that and she had told me some story about how she had started like stashing an egg a day away until she had her like a dozen eggs and she went to the store and traded those eggs for some bananas Mm -hmm. but they were green bananas they weren't ripe and um she ate them and they made her sick or something and that granny found out and like i guess made her eat all of them as punishment because that's what she did was took the eggs to the store to get um coffee and sugar sugar. Mm mm-hmm and the, yeah, she said she saved a few back and but got, got her a little tree. Major trouble about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the granny was like, "You stole." That's yeah, stealing. that's being dishonest. Yeah. And talking about the kids watching their younger siblings, my mom was number five, and my uncle was number six, and he's probably two, two and a half years younger than her. But um, even though that's really relatively close in age, she would have to watch him while they were in the fields working gardens and uh granny would spread out a big blanket you know and, and tell my mom who was probably let's just say she was three and a half and he might have been one 18 months old something like that you know y'all can't leave this blanket do not leave this blanket do not let your brother leave this blanket and i mean we would never leave a child under the age of four babysitting an well, 18 right. month old no, now right. but back then that kind of was typical and common yeah. and i'm i'm assuming that maybe they were more mature because they were capable of babysitting. But she tells stories of how she used to just beat him. She said she hated him because when he was born, she was jealous. And um, and he says he remembers it, that she she said the minute 
they they called her mommy my granny their mother the minute mommy was out of sight dorothy would fly in beating me because oh she God. just didn't like him and resented she him she sounds and, like she was a brat she was i mean and she heard, says she well was. she's told me i mean she's uh-huh. like oh yeah i was a horrible mm-hmm. kid like i was just hell on wheels i was a terrible kid i was mean as hell like she's told me this and i mean frankly let's face it nana's still mean as hell <laughs> but she's still mean as hell and she'll do something <laughs> but her mean. siblings yeah. oh yeah. i remember and this has been uh, you know before like my great aunt Frances passed away and my aunt ruby and all them and george one night stopping down there at my aunt Frances is because she lived below you for mm-hmm. some years um and having dinner with them and she would make fried green tomatoes and they were so oh, delicious yes. and she'd always have stewed like canned tomatoes Frances was the best she cook. was and so anytime she would be like come on in and eat i was like absolutely <laughs> that's a Don't hard have yes to twice. um but just sitting down with them and we started kind of talking about their because i'm fascinated by these stories and started asking them questions and it was so funny to listen to four siblings, George, Johnny, Francis, Ruby, all talk about my Nana and how she was the worst kid. They were mm-hmm. like, she was absolutely mm-hmm. horrible. She went out of her way to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Just terrible. Yes. And, and a bully. About it. And just mean as hell. And even now when <laughs> she's mean as hell at age 78, you know, she'll say, I did ABCD and I'll say, Mom... Why did you do that? You know, or oh my word, because it's something that caused some sort of conflict or chaos or hard feelings or argument or just mean. Yeah. You know, what, why, you know, what made you do that or whatever? She'll say, because I could. I know. I've heard her say Because I can. (laughs) So, yeah, I've heard a lot of stories about Nana growing up and how Mm -hmm. she just. Yeah, she and at some point my grandpa had poor Johnny. I don't think it was chicken pox, but it was some it was some illness that's typically a childhood illness. Okay, but something they probably didn't have vaccinations for at the time, or he hadn't had it, whatever. So he's in the bed like very, very, very ill, and uh, cannot even cannot even raise up out of bed. Well, she swears that he hated her, but. I'm sure that she literally made his life a living hell, her father. But anyway, (laughs) she laughs about taunting him and taunting him. And she said that he would try to raise up and reach her to slap her. But he was so sick that he couldn't move. And she said, oh, she just delighted in knowing that he was miserable and she was torturing him. Damn, Nana. And then when... My grandmother came in or whatever from the barn. Mom said that he said, See, homie, I want you to whoop her ass. <laughs> Gosh, she's, she's something. She's feisty. Well, that's a euphemism for what it is. <laughs> she said they used to get brown paper bags and they'd go out in the barn and pull off a tobacco leaf and uh, while they were drying, but still. For anybody that's never worked tobacco, I'm explaining to you that they were still far, far, far from being smoking tobacco. Oh, yeah. And she would take this leaf. They would take a leaf and not crumble it or anything. Just take the leaf and roll it up in a brown paper bag. Makes me think of like a lettuce wrap. (laughs) And uh, smoke that. (laughs) Smoke that. Okay. The most ghetto Uh uh, cigarette ever. That could explain the Hillbilly, oxygen tank she drags around yeah. to this day. Well, uh-huh. you know, yeah, I guess she got. But an she early was a start. child. She was like a little child. Why would she want smoking? To smoke the, because she's her, because she can. <laughs> well, because she could. 
And so one of the things that I always found interesting, because I remember Daddy Rich, and he was definitely a, a character, to put it nicely. Now that's your, my grandpa, yeah. your great-grandpa. My great-grandpa. For whatever reason, he we called him Daddy Rich, but his last name was Rich, but Daddy Rich. Yeah, so Daddy Rich, uh-huh. I remember some things about him. Like, I remember one time he had killed a groundhog and was dressing it, like, on the porch mm-hmm. in front of me, and I was little, um, and it, tra- it, like, traumatized me, because mm. it's like this groundhog, and he's just gutting it and cutting it up. And I was just like, why are you doing that? And he's like, because I'm going to eat it. <laughs> because you never saw this country lifestyle. Well, so not, I can see. I mean, to an extent. Well, but yeah. I mean, you visited your grandparents and saw them doing it, but you didn't grow up that way. Right. So, I, yeah, I'm sure to see this little furry critter. Well, yeah, because it was a great. I mean, I, you know, my dad was a hunter. And mm-hmm. I mean, I remember he would kill deer and you know, he would dress the deer. And I mean, I remember seeing that and knowing that like he, we would eat that sometimes, but the groundhog, that was just something that was so foreign to me mm-hmm. because we didn't eat groundhog no. No. and it's this cute furry little creature. And I've always been like, Oh, what a cute chubby groundhog. And then daddy rich has got this bloody fur ball, just tearing it apart, gutting it, big old knife, just like, yeah, and then says he's going to eat it. And I was like, what? But at least by then, he had rigged up a pulley system. When I was little, I got to hold its back legs while he would, like, rip the skin, the hide downward. And I can still hear that tearing sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't pleasant. But he was funny because, like, he had chickens. Mm-hmm. And... Where he lives, there was a road that separated, like, his house, and then on the other side of the road was the tobacco barn and the regular barn, and that's where the chickens Pig were. pen. Yeah. But he... The meat, the smokehouse, all that was on the other side of the road Right, the so you have to cross uh-huh. the road, and it was a little two-lane road, not heavily trafficked or anything. But those chickens, I mean, I remember as a kid, he would yell at them and be like, you better not cross that road. And they they kind of obeyed. Yeah. But if they did, he would, like, shoot them. Because mm-hmm, that side of the road was, like, the farm, more mm-hmm. or less, and then this side's our home. But chickens are going to be chickens. They well, don't yeah. see boundaries, yeah. But he treated them like they were oh, yeah. human. And like the they occasional. Knew, like they knew better. Mm-hmm. And if they disobeyed, they got punished. And, and when I say chi- punished, yeah. I mean he'd, like, shoot them. <laughs> and why does the chicken cross the road? Occasionally, one would find out. Well, it? well, yeah, it was a it was a major lesson in life. Oh, yeah. life ending lesson. <laughs> yeah, life ending. It was a lesson for the other ones. That one didn't know anything. Well, that brings me to this. So th- we were talking about words that like people maybe from that aren't from around this area. They're not familiar with um, the local color, the local language, because haint is one of those, mm-hmm. which is a ghost, a haint. Uh, paint is another one, which would be like panther, mm-hmm. but old timers call them paints. But you said dittler, mm-hmm. and that's a word that not a lot of people know, because you asked me if I knew, and I said, "Well, isn't that like a baby chick?" Mm-hmm, a but you asked Dylan, and he was like, "Didn't know what that no. was." Didn't he say something goofy? A lot of locals that have grown up here that are my age and less don't know what that means. But locals from here that are older than myself and some my age definitely know what that means. Like that was just that was just well, part of just our a daily vocabulary. Yeah. A baby chick, a dittler. And so Granny had purchased some dittlers. Mm-hmm. 
So tell them the story about the Dittlers and the okay. hen. Because it's nothing funny story. Well, they took these uh, spools, like cable comes on. These okay. huge wooden spools, very large. And uh, they would lay them on their side. Okay, and then he would take chicken wire and go around them. So it would make a, a cage. Yeah. But, you know, like a circular cage. Yeah. And so uh, it, it was really large. Well, she'd gotten these dealers and she put them in there. So they're running a circle around and around and around. Yeah. And uh, so she puts a hen in there. And I guess she had done this many times. Um, I, I don't, I probably didn't pay attention to it as much as this time because this time left me somewhat traumatized. But uh, the hen would run from the chicks or the dittlers. So the hen, you know, was just running around and around in a circle because it's on that spool. And the dittlers were like they were following the her, and she just ran and ran and ran. Well, there were like I could I I noticed there was like these uh, a little bit of bickering back and forth between my grandparents, which really we didn't hear very often. So uh, you know, I knew things were kind of getting heated or something big was getting ready to happen. Um, well, suddenly, gotcha. suddenly, Daddy Rich, as I called him, jerked that hen out of there. And I'd seen him do this before. But he would grab these chickens and he would grab them around their, I guess, torso. And, and so in doing that, he'd hold their wings down so they couldn't do what's called flogging. Yeah. And uh, so he'd hold their wings down and he would just whack their heads against these poles, which were beams. Uh, weight-bearing beams, but, you know, they were just made out of, like, logs. Yeah. He would just beat and beat and beat their heads against those. Well, it was it was disturbing. Oh, yeah. But this particular time, as disturbing as it was, I was giggling inside because he's beating that chicken, you know, slamming it up against the, my granny saying, Lee, Lee, what are you doing? And I remember she said, that's my best laying hen. <laughs> So she was upset about her laying hen. She was. She said, that's my best laying hen. But so she I guess thought that was that a good egg producing egg, well, chicken. Yeah. <laughs> it's my best laying hen. But apparently she didn't take to the Dittlers. She didn't take to those Dittlers. And then he didn't like that too much. No, he just, no. He he, he had very little patience and tolerance for, for most everything. Including people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he seemed like a man who was very set in his way. Very. And like his way, it was like his way or the highway Absolutely. kind of thing. And he didn't negotiate. No, I mean, no there negotiation. Was no, his idea of negotiating is like, either you do this or I'm going to bash your head against a pole. <laughs> kind of thing. His idea of nego- negotiation was, have a seat when you came to visit. Well, I'm letting you have the opportunity to stand or sit. That's <laughs> right. That's his idea of negotiating. But... I mean, some have called him a, a mean man or et cetera, et cetera. I never saw that out of him. I mean, I loved right. him very much. You know, I found him fascinating. And, and uh, they really educated us. Like anything they were doing, they always talked through it in a way to where we could see the process. So everything was like a teachable moment. Everything, especially my grandmother, especially but um, one of the things I remember about Daddy Rich was um, he would always tell me he was going to give me quarters or change. He'd say, I got something for you. And I'd walk over and he would hand me a quarter, quote unquote, that had a hole in the middle. But it was like a nut, like a nut and bolt. Like uh-huh, one of those things, uh-huh. those uh, washers. A washer. Is that what it's yes, called, right? it goes on a screw. Or a washer. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess if you're yes. from a certain place. But he would hand me a, a washer. And it would, you know, and he'd say, "How did that p- 
penny get a hole in it? Or how'd that quarter get a and hole in it? And you would go it? up there and say, can I have some money with a hole in it? Yeah. And like, you ch- you valued the one with the hole in it more. Yeah, because it was like a joke, but I did. I got to where it was like I wanted it. <laughs> and he always wore overalls. Always. And he always had a red and occasionally a navy blue bandana in, in the front bib of his overalls. And I just I can just close my eyes vividly see him pulling that out and wiping sweat and sticking it back in there like mm-hmm. that was specifically to wipe the sweat. I always remember him in overalls, and then my other papa, my other great grandpa, I remember him wearing overalls, pointers all the time, mm-hmm. you know, yes. with a white cotton t-shirt, and he, but he would wear a pith helmet. Oh like yeah, that green pith helmet uh-huh. hat that he would wear. That looked like, you know, oh, I think he had it from the army, you know, from like World War II. It was like an army hat. And he would wear that out, like working in his garden or when he was riding his mower or something. He would always wear that, you know, because he was bald. that Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny because I remember both of them. Like when I think of my great grandfathers, you know, because they were part of my life, Mm -hmm. you know, for a while. They're both in overalls. I have them. Well, I had, but I had to return them. But I'm hoping that my uncle will let me have them. He has a little pair of overalls, and I'm gonna, I'm just gonna make a guess that maybe they're like a size 12 months. Okay, so little. 18 months, little bitty. But my grandmother would cut up my grandfather's overalls when they were old and ratty and stuff, and she would make her son's little overalls. How cute! But not even for babies, but on up until they were say like 10, she could get, she could make a pair. For, like, say, a 10-year-old out of his old ones. That, well, one but. thing I remember um, from Nana when I was a kid, and she would say this was something that they would do, is um, she would roll my hair on paper bags, brown paper bags. Uh-huh. She would take a brown paper bag and cut it up into these little strips that were maybe um, like an inch and a half wide and maybe five or six inches long. And she would, like, fold them in half and lay a strand of my hair in it and then somehow fold it up. And um, that's how she said they would curl their hair. And twist the two ends together. Yep. And that's and I would sleep on those, and wake up, and my hair would look like Annie. Uh huh. I mean, just curls like and tight curls uh-huh. like to your head. And she said that's how they would roll their hair when they were girls and teenagers. You know, when that was the thing to have curly wow. hair. Yeah, so that's something that, you know, most people probably have never experienced. I never saw my grandmother make lye soap. I don't know why the hair thing, I guess, remind me of the lye soap. Because my mom was talking the other day about, we were talking about shampoo and all the hair products we use. And she mentioned the lye soap for shampoo. And I thought, man, I can't even believe anybody still had hair. But then I went on to ask her, how exactly do you make lye soap? Because I, I hear about it and I see it at local Little gift shops and farmers markets, occasionally yeah, little like produce that. stands. But I, I don't think I ever saw my grandmother make that. But she said that she had a bucket beside the, what they call the cook stove, which was mm-hmm. the wood cook stove, a bucket. And when she would trim any kind of meat, she would just chunk her fat, just toss it in that bucket, and that usually it would just sit there until it was full or until she decided, hey, I have a few minutes, I'm going to make some soap, and she would boil and boil and boil that, and I guess it turned into what. Much like what cooking oil would be, I imagine. Yeah. And um, literally add lye, red devil lye, red devil lye, L-Y-E, into that. And um, boil it and boil it. And then I guess she poured it into some type of a pan and let it set up. Like what I think of a making fudge. Like I think of that. Yeah. 
and then and then when it cooled slice it and that was their soap and I just can't imagine. But you grew up... Animal fat. We were talking about, like, the groundhog thing, and I was saying how that really disturbed me, and I've never eaten groundhog, never tried it, Um, but that was, like, common, like, Daddy Mm -hmm. Rich ate groundhog, right? And And the groundhog grease was a medicine. Well, I've heard of that my whole life. Oh, yeah. Like, if you had the croup, Mm -hmm. you would drink... Be respiratory, yeah, yeah, cold. Well, if you're cough. listening to Mountain Murders and you don't know what the croup is, then <laughs> you need to find a new podcast. No, I'm just kidding. We could do a medical episode. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, one of the medical remedies that I've always been given was just take a shot of this, and it would be some liquor, <laughs> hotty toddy, the moonshine. Well, my papa Carol would constantly, if I would be sick, he would be like, "Just go in there and get you a shot of that." Oh, would, really? Yeah. I don't think I ever knew Papa Carol did that. <laughs> Well, he would give me beer when I was like two. Well, so what do you expect? Now, now, now it's coming out. But yeah, he would say, "I, I got a jar in there, that homemade wow. freezer, and you just huh. need to drink you a little bit of that." And he'd basically give me a shot, and it would help. But the groundhog grease, you'd drink that. Well, I hadn't seen it. Doesn't that make in you years. sick as a dog? Though? And I like, hadn't even ew. heard of groundhog grease in years, you know. But I'm guessing about two years ago, my uncle gave me a couple of little bottles of groundhog grease and said, "Take this, you know, in case somebody was yeah, sick." Yeah, absolutely. And then he gave me like a couple of baby food jars, and it looked like lard. And he said, "That's bear grease, and you can use that to make biscuits." And I took it, but I don't. I mean, I. No, nothing. Um, I'm not being condescending in any way. You know that. Yeah. But I don't. I don't cook that way. You know. I don't. I don't think I would ever use bear grease to make cook biscuits. I'm sorry. I just that's just not something I would do. Well, he'll give them to me. I would love to. But make you know. But biscuits. I was polite and I accepted oh, well, yeah, it. Of course. So I'm. I'm assuming that he still does that. But he still does live much, much, much like that. Yeah, he I mean, does. he is very, very, very self-sufficient. We were talking about canning recently, mm-hmm. and he was saying all the things, you know, telling me all the things he had canned recently, mm-hmm. and you know that kind of thing. So yeah, but yeah, I just think it's so interesting. So growing up, groundhog, that was something that was, mm-hmm. and how would you would just fry that? The groundhog, yeah. Let's see. I don't know how everybody else prepared it, but my grandmother would boil it. Okay, and then she would. Uh, what they call parable, parable. Yeah, parable. I always thought they said were saying powerball, but it was parable or yeah, something. Yeah, par- parable. And they would yeah, boil that, that groundhog, and then she would um, put it in a big cast iron pan. Okay. And put um, some kind of pepper, because you know they always grew lots and lots of different kinds of peppers. Yeah. Something like about a medium strength as far as heat, and she would put this pepper on it, little pepper flakes, and put it in that wood cook stove now would you like debone the groundhog no at this stage it was it just like had, a hole it was in, the little critter enact in yeah. disemboweled no hands no feet <laughs> no hands and feet no paws well, this is a murder podcast no so heads yeah okay so and then bake it so there's the critter uh-huh power boil it and then they'd put it in a cast iron pan and With she'd put pepper. it in that wood cook stove in the oven mm-hmm. and brown it like really really brown it, and you could hear it kind of sizzling and then whenever, I guess it was ready or whatever, she would take it out. And, um, wow. So and what, it was a bit, I mean, that was common what is thing. The ta- what was it, the taste? In my household, in my household with my mom and my siblings, we did not eat groundhog. Okay. But I 
but we stayed at my grandparents more more we stayed there more than we did at my house because we were always up there working and helping them yeah and i regretful i am regretful to admit that i did eat it but you know i was a kid it was putting on the table and well, we didn't why? question there's it there's still people who eat grub well we didn't question it either i mean in my family you didn't question it you just ate it yeah um you was know it I, gamey was it i like... remember it being delicious i can remember walking in and hearing that sizzling and smelling that and thinking "Ooh, goody oh no that was my favorite thing favorite thing what about squirrel i don't really remember eating squirrel much but i do remember eating like squirrel gravy which was almost like chicken and dumplings that's what it reminded me of but um but I, I don't remember eating it regularly, but I feel like I did eat it. But they did. Oh, but Granny yes. loved squirrel brains, Yes, right? she did, and I never knew that until she was sick and dying. Because didn't you tell me a story about she... Well, she mm-hmm. had a brain tumor. She, she did? Yeah. Uh-huh. And... So she was pretty sick for about two years. And she really wanted someone to bring mm-hmm. her squirrel brains? And one of my uncles had gone squirrel hunting, you know, specifically for her, and they come carrying in this... Um, you know, container with snap-on lid. And my aunt, who's just the really good, good, good woman, and she's a country woman, but she uh, popped the top right off that container and started taking these little little things. And I'm going to just refer to them as dumplings because I didn't know what it was. Right, okay. And she would just put them to my grandmother's mouth and just take her thumb and just pop it. Okay. And then put it in my grandma's mouth. And she would kind of suck it sort of like much like you might a a juicy pear or something okay and um and i mean this happened a couple of times and then i could see my aunt had something in her hand that was waste but now my grandmother's really sick is the reason she didn't do all this for herself but um you know my grandmother my aunt had something looked like waste and she'd kind of toss that and that still i don't really know what's going on and but yeah, after a while, somebody said something about that was squirrel heads, and she was sucking the brains out. But they're cooked, right? Oh, they're cooked. Yes. Okay. But I, I even though I'd grown up, you know, there every day and seen everything I knew of that was country or mountain, I, I don't know that I'd ever seen her eat that. Yeah, but did you ever have bear meat? Yes. I think it's greasy. I never liked it. I never liked it. I only it. had it a Mm-mm. couple of times, no. but I always thought it was like super, super greasy. Meat. No, I didn't like that. And, str- I didn't. and like stringy yes. or something? Yes. Yeah. Like, um, almost like the texture of a bad beef roast. Like yeah. Like a really bad beef roast that's real tough and stringy. It was almost that texture, but much tougher, much stringier, and very strong. Well, yeah. Really gamey. Yes. And ugh, real no, greasy I, uh, and just, yeah. Like chewy, I just I did not like it. Well, now the thing from my childhood that I still dearly love is pork, but you know I I acquire pork a little differently now. Now I go to the supermarket, but then um, you know they grew their own, harvested their own meat and their own pork. Yeah. So um, and there was like hog killing time mm-hmm. a year. And but you my grandmother's stuff, hogs right? were different in that she did have them in a pen, but it had a, a roof on it and walls. I mean, it was more like a little cottage. Okay. It reminded me of a cottage. Okay. And that's where they were, and that was the pig pen. And we kids would peek in and peek in because I always thought, oh, it looks like a little playhouse. But she would say, get away from there. And later, 
I guess I was a young adult when I asked my mom, you know, I thought about that. Why did she keep them kind of hidden? Like most pigs are in a pig pen you can go over because um, she didn't want to to have to look at them every day or associate them with being a pet or uh, right. no way kind of, of emotional detaching. attachment yes. to them. It was a way for her to detach. But yeah, on hog killing day or whatever, it was a big community event. But I think because my grandmother and grandfather had six kids and then their spouses and then lots of the grandkids. Mm-hmm. And there would be a few, maybe just a few friends or something. So it wasn't that the community really helped. So it was mainly family, but the family was big. Plus the family all kind of lived in the same area, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, yeah. Because like Daddy Rich's brother lived right behind him. Yes. And, there's, and we lived, what, a mile round yeah, trip? Yeah, lots and, of cousins uh, mm-hmm. and stuff around. Exactly. and uh, But yeah, they would um, you know just open the door and they'd run out. And they would shoot them. But they really wanted it to be humane. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they took no pleasure. You know, it wasn't something that they saw as, you know, oh, I got that one or, you know, good shot. or No, there was no talk. It happened. And the minute it happened, it was business as usual. I mean, they drew no attention to it. And they didn't seem to derive any pleasure whatsoever from it. Yeah, I can't imagine. And as a kid, it really, really upset me. And a lot of times we wouldn't watch or we would kind of be shooed back in the house. But um, but I did know that it was, to them, it was a function. It was something that needed to be done. But in no way they acted like they'd accomplished anything. Or yeah. High, they weren't high-fiving each other. Right. But they hung the, do you want me to get really graphic? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I've seen photos. Like, of course, I've never experienced a hog killing, but I've seen photos and read about it. So I'm kind of aware of how it was done, but go ahead and They would uh, back the tractor up to wherever the hog fell, and they would hook his um, hooves, his back hooves, up to this gadget that they had, you know, of course, that they had probably designed. Like some kind of pulley almost? Yes, and then they would lift it up. Yeah. And then they would drive it down to that lower barn, which was the tobacco barn, but on just down a little ways. They would drive it down on the tractor, and it'd be hanging, you know, basically upside down. And right. at that point, they would cut its jugular yeah, in, this, in a ditch, and then it would bleed out. Which was like a long process, right? Yeah, it I mean, did. and I've heard, uh-huh. because there's that old phrase you hear, bleeding like a stuck pig. Yes. It was a process. Because that's that the thing I've always heard is how... How much blood there is, and that it was just like horrific because there was just gallons. And you think about and gallons, how big, how big blood, a butchering yeah. hog is. There's yeah. a lot of blood. Yeah. And uh, so at that point, you know, then they would, um, they had um, like wooden pallets. Okay. But they had like blocks and rocks and bricks. I mean, they had this nice little, you know, designed um, structure, and they would take the tractor because the hog was so heavy, but they would lay it out on that. And then they had these big barrels of boiling water, like 50-gallon barrels, sitting on top of a fire pit. Okay. And they would be boiling. And then they would take, you know, like little pots and scoop the boiling water out and pour it on the hog, pour it on the hog, pour it on the hog. Do that many, many, many times. Mm -hmm. And then they had some little tools and also just good sharp knives. And they would scrape and scrape and scrape and scrape the hog to get the fur Mm-hmm. To get the hide, the skin, the fur, hair, yeah. whatever off. And then that was what took so long. And my grandmother was an extremely clean woman. 
I mean, you didn't like dare meticulous. leave. Oh, yeah. yes. So that is what took forever. Because not only did they scrape it, they would soften it. Because I don't know if you've ever touched a hog, petted a hog. <laughs> that fur is like very gristly and thick. Yeah. Yeah, one hair strand is just really like wire. But, yeah, they pour the boiling water on it. And, doo -doo 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 -doo. and then when they got that done, then they would start um, cutting you know, and taking out the... Like butchering. Butchering. They'd start yeah. disemboweling it. And uh, and then at that point, they'd, you know, when they took everything out, the innards, and um, took that away, then they would actually start butchering it. But they would butcher it in large pieces. And then that went into this big can house my grandmother had. Now, all this was happening outside. But they would carry the big, like the whole hip shank leg mm -hmm. they carry that whole thing into the can house which was really really big you know and it was like where she did her canning and her working and i'm she so they would take it in there and then proceed to cut it into smaller portions like a ham bacon roasts and they um, had a smokehouse too and right? everybody kind of had a job like somebody would be salting the hams and putting them in a in one area, and then they had a smokehouse, and then somebody would be making sausage, and then somebody else would be uh, stirring a huge pot of, um, I guess it's fat, and they would just stir that and stir that and stir that, and I can just remember as kids, like, we would be just ran completely out of that area, because evidently it's, if it would ever, you know, get on you, but right. it was the fat and that just rendering it and boiling and boiling and just, but anyway, and that they would boil and boil and boil that and render that fat and um, turn it into oil, like okay. cooking oil. Yeah. And then um, what they'd scoop off the top with like a wire kind of colander thing, strainer, they'd scoop off the top and they called it cracklings, cracklings. Yeah, I've heard that before. And you, you'd almost like eat it like little potato chips. Kind of like pork rinds or something. Very, very, very much like pork rinds. Because I've heard people Small, talk about cracklings. Very much like pork rinds, yes. And so that was like the treat? Well, I don't think they kept them. If they kept them, I don't remember it. it I was just, just remember something that you ate like, in the right moment. Then, in yeah. the moment. Gotcha. And, um, so what would like your job have been during that time? Did you have a job? Well, like I'm going to say from like maybe six under. No, not really. I mean, we watched, and, and as we were watching, people would be talking through it. You know, you cut this, you cut that. So we were, even though we didn't have a job, we, we basically were told. We like, were, we were studying, yeah. yes. And then later, let's just, I'm just taking a wild guess at maybe like seven-ish that age. It was carry this, put okay. that over there, you know, kind of like an, assi an assistant kind of measure. And then let's just say maybe when I was like nine or ten, I do remember like helping with the sausage stirring things okay um, making like little sausage patties or pouring in seasonings, something like that yeah mm -hmm. and i can remember carrying hams out to the smokehouse and putting bunches and lots and lots and lots of salt on them and that fascinated me to think does that not spoil that i know meat? right that's but really it fascinating it didn't and so where was that stuff all stored away like the different things. Yeah, or, I mean, like deep freezer. She and had a lot of the, she had that. lots of deep freezers, and I know she didn't when her children were small. You know, they had spring well, house. Right. Yeah. That's where they kept things refrigerated. And to explain to people what a spring house is, because I may um, not know. It's a okay. A spring, you know, bubbles up out of the ground, water, right. 
and it's very, very cold, and you try to tap into the strongest source of the spring, and then they would build a little house around it. Not really a house, just a little structure. Right. And uh, hopefully there were rocks close by, but if not, I guess they used animals to move rocks in. And they would build the rocks much like stair steps. Yeah. And um, then they would build this little, you know, structure around it, and um, they would go inside there, and like the things they wanted to be kept the coldest, they could put right down in the water. Because the way they put the rocks around it made like a little reservoir. Okay. And then the the water continued to run down the, that like down one rock, trickle down onto another rock. So I think you would use the rocks in terms of how, or in the order of how cold you wanted to keep something. Okay. But the water was the only source of the cold temperature. And then the rocks would be cold because of the water. That's so fascinating. But my great-grandparents, their spring house was just a work of art. It literally looked like, you know, somebody had stacked up about four or five square rocks. And it just literally looked like a beautiful set of steps. And that was at the old place? Mm -hmm. I mean, because I remember going over there and Nana pointing out this was the spring house. Mm -hmm. And And that's where they kept butter. Um eggs they would keep the eggs on their counter for about a day or so but then they would put them in the colder and butter milk you know butter milk whatever needed to be kept refrigerated when in the freehouse but like when i was a kid my grandmother had a lot of freezers she had probably three or four big deep freezers and then they had the smokehouse and then she had a can house and she would can a lot of that pork you know preserve it in mason jars wow and then she would put some in the freezer and then um, they would cut up like bacon and just just different ways. She had different ways of preserving things. It's so interesting. And some things were sort of dehydrated in a in in a fashion. What somewhat. does canned pork taste like? I mean, is it good? Because I don't mm-hmm. know. Why, it is. I don't it know is why. good. It kind of grosses me out a little bit. Well, I've seen canned pork that I felt like was just full of fat. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really, you know, wasn't, but my grandmother, like I said, she, she just had a different way of doing things. It was very, very good. Okay. Just imagine a really good pork roast. Yeah. Boston butt. When you're taking a fork and you're tearing it apart to make like a pork sandwich. Okay. You know, you pull it apart, pull yeah. the pork. But imagine that before you put the barbecue sauce on it. Okay. That's what it tastes like. All right. Very moist. Interesting. I guess she would just put like literally... A big, like a slab or a piece of a roast or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever would fit in a quart jar. She'd okay. put that in there and can it, you know, apply heat so that the seal or the the, the seal would seal and right. they put the ring on it. So it was just a way to preserve it because you think they didn't have, well, yeah. years and years ago, the refrigeration and what we have to preserve things. It's pretty interesting. Well, Mom, thank you so much oh, for yeah. sharing some <laughs> of your stories with us. I think. This stuff is really cool to learn about. And uh, thanks for being a guest. (laughs) You bet. I enjoyed it. Yay, everybody. uh, Give my mom a round of applause. Yay. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Give myself one. Yes. Okay. We'll be back here uh, pretty soon with another uh, episode of Mountain Murders, and we'll get back to the true crime.